Have you ever had one of those days, perhaps it would be more appropriate to say, have you no, never had one of those days where you make plans, maybe even the evening before, you think, tomorrow I'm going to do this, this, and this. And by the time I go to bed, I will have achieved you know, those things on the list. And I'll make another list to do things for the next day. The problem is, maybe this is just me, but the harder you try to make the list, the harder you, the more, you, the more you try to sort of organise yourself, someone somewhere seems to come along determined to wreck your plans. The phone goes, unearthly hour of the morning, perhaps. Do you know this has happened? That's happened. We, we need you here. We need you to uh, your car and you as the chauffeur to drive us there. It, it could be your children, or it could be your neighbour, it could be uh, anything, anywhere. It might even be the email that suddenly pops up as you're merrily looking through and thinking, what pleasurable things can I do today? You know, sort of mow the lawn or paint the door. Uh, and suddenly something else comes up, and all your plans are out of the window. Well, of course, I guess it happens to us all. Sometimes uh, it seems to happen very often to us. I think Abraham had a day like this. In fact, Abraham, I think, had several days like this. Can you imagine the call that he had? It was a call, really, initially, I think, a call to obedience. It's the word that Janet used much earlier on in the service. And for most of our Bibles, I think the, the versions that we have, modern versions, tend to uh, sort of entitle this whole passage as Abraham called to obedience, or words similar to that. It's a challenge for Abraham to obey. This is not the first time God spoke to him. We are in the patriarchal age. It's a time long before people had the scriptures be able to read, even if they could actually read them. We're a long way off. Uh, you know, but having the knowledge and the awareness that when something happens, oh, we've seen this happen before. We're talking sort of the early stages of God revealing himself to man and of uh, his man's worship to God being fully understood. So Abraham was going along a, a track that maybe few, if any, had gone before. Who was this God who kept calling him? Let's go back. First of all, in Genesis 12, you possibly remember that this man, Abraham, was challenged uh, to leave his father's home. And this wasn't just saying, cheerio, dad, I'm going. This was a son whose father, we know very little about him, but his father obviously was a fairly wealthy man, owned lots of land, lots of property, lots of cattle, had servants, and Abraham was being called to leave all that behind. Leave your homeland and go. I'm not going to tell you where, but just go. And I will take you on a journey, and that land will become not just yours, but that land will become many, many, many thousands of generations that will follow you and your time. And so it is. That was the first challenge he had. God said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. He had everything except a son. 
How could this be? How could God say, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to you know, give you generation after generation, and your name will be venerated and worshipped by future generations. He will look back and say, Abraham, was, as it were, was our father. He was the beginning. How can that be if I haven't actually got the first sort of bit of the puzzle? I haven't got a son. I haven't got anyone who will be my heir. When I die, it'll all be over. Don't you realise that, God? And here we are. God comes a second time, at least, probably more actually, a second time to Abraham to call him. By this time, Abraham and his now wife, Sarah, are living uh, as uh, sort of nomadic people, but they were living in their tent. It was the sort of heat of the day, and as you would if you were sensible, and probably in some parts of Europe during this uh, in present times, in the midday, you go and find shelter. And so he was resting in the middle of the day, and Sarah was nearby, and suddenly they had visitors. You know how it is? The house is spick and span and not a soul comes. You decide to do something that turns the house upside down, and the world and his wife want to appear on your doorstep. Well, they weren't expecting anyone, and these were no ordinary visitors. There was something different about these visitors, especially one in particular, and this one comes and says, Abraham, got news for you. You're going to have a son. Now, the bit we've not actually mentioned is, Abraham wasn't in his 20s, 30s, 40s. No, he was, uh, once, uh, when we pick up the story, fast approaching 80, and by this time was 80. And his wife, obviously, was that much uh, you know, similar age. Again, we don't know how old. But when Sarah heard this news, you're going to have a child, your wife will have this, this baby, she laughed to herself. Nonsense, she thought. How can this be? Everyone knows that you don't see many 80-plus-year-olds in maternity units. Well, I've never seen them. There may be, and I could be wrong, but I've never seen one. And indeed, it would seem preposterous that here is a woman well past child-bearing and child-rearing age, and Abraham, similarly, should be a great-grandfather now, probably even a great-great-grandfather, and is going to start out in this journey of being a father and Sarah a mother. And so it was that eventually Isaac, the son, the promised one, was born. And so we come to the sort of third call The third call of Abraham was what we heard Janice read to us from Genesis 22. Can you imagine it? It was perhaps drawing near to the end of the day and suddenly God speaks to him again. I says, Abraham, I've got a task for you. Get your donkey ready. Always essential for such a journey. Take your donkey and get some wood Get your servants and be prepared to go on a three-day journey because you are going on a journey to make a sacrifice. Oh, that's all right. That was quite understood. It would have been a very regular thing that Abraham would have understood. But there was just a sort of another extra. Take your son. Oh, yes, it'd be nice. It'd be good for him to see. No, no, take your son because it is your son who is going to be the sacrifice. What? In true Jewish storytelling, either 
the story is either staccato and you just get bits. You get this little picture, you get the next little picture not joined together. Or sometimes uh, the, the Jewish storyteller tends to be one who tells you every, every detail, significant or otherwise, and you're glued to it. You can't leave it. And this account, although obviously looked back upon years later, tells of this astounding event. But what it doesn't tell you, it doesn't tell you what Abraham thought, what he felt, the shock, the horror. Now, is that because the writer just left it out? Or is it because Abraham, even at this stage, had such a trust and confidence in God that I don't understand it, it doesn't make any sense at all, but if you say so, Lord, I'm going to go that way, I'm going to do this thing. I also do wonder what he told Sarah. Maybe he didn't tell her anything. Maybe he said, I'm just slipping out for three days um, and uh, taking Isaac. We'll never know. So the day came. Donkey ready, wood all chopped up and ready, servants ready, Isaac ready. And so they go. And so we jump very quickly, almost towards the end of this story gets to a point where he says to the servants, you stay here, and the donkey, you stay here, I will take the boy, and I will take the wood, and the fire, we don't quite know what that actually was, and I'll take a knife. And no one questioned him at this stage, is there something sort of missing? You know that horrible feeling, you go on a journey, go somewhere and you think, I don't know what it is, but there's something I should have. Or something, you've been somewhere and you've left something behind and it only dawns on you half an hour later that you left something behind. One of the times I went back to our first church, which was in Wiltshire, we set off all bright and early from Taunton up the motorway, just going past Bristol and suddenly thought, I've left something behind, like all the notes. I was preaching twice that day. I'd left the whole lot sitting on the kitchen table. Uh, And so Abraham had to break the news to to Isaac, who he obviously hadn't told him by this stage, uh, yeah, my son, I know I haven't actually, we haven't actually got a sacrifice, but the Lord will provide, he says. And this is the sort of underpinning, continual message in this passage, that the Lord will provide. The next thing we read is that Isaac has been bound the wood has been placed upon the sacrifice, upon the altar, and all ready to go. In fact, Abraham is just putting his hand on the knife, raising the knife, and you can almost hear the drama, the music, as it were, sort of the tempo increasing moment by moment. And he has that knife in the hand, the hand about to go down, and suddenly the voice comes and says, Abraham, Abraham. In other words, stop, don't do anything. You've done all that I need to know. This was not a test on sacrifice. This wasn't uh, some sort of gimmick. This was a way to see not just how obedient you were, but how willing you were, how open you were to me. And this perhaps is the message, isn't it? Is it not? It is how willing are we to be open to Jesus? Some of us may have kept him standing at the door of our lives for years. Some of us sort of 
tend to ease him out every so often. And he wants to speak with us, he wants to be with us, he wants to work through us, he wants to use you and me. And we as individuals, we even as a church, dare I say, sometimes can just cease listening to him. We've heard him call so often, we think, oh, he'll call again tomorrow. The cost of obedience is that we have to be open to him. There is a passage in Hebrews that tells us this. By faith, Abraham, at the time of testing, offered Isaac back to God. Acting in faith, he was as ready to return the promised son, his only son, as he had been to receive him. And this, after he had already been told, descendants shall come from Isaac. Abraham figured that if God wanted to, he could raise the dead. In a sense, that is what has happened when he received Isaac back, as it were, alive uh, off the altar. That's the message, translation of a passage that you will probably recognise better uh, in other versions. It is not just by faith. It was by his obedience. It was by his his willingness to serve God. Do you not get a feeling you've read this story before? Not written perhaps deliberately with that in mind. But as those who lived some years, some centuries later, look back and realise that here is the picture of Jesus himself. For Jesus is the one who was beloved by the Father. He was the one who, uh, whose only purpose was to do his Father's will, just as Isaac. He took up his cross and carried it to Calvary, just as Isaac had carried the wood for his own sacrifice. There's a difference, though. When Isaac was about to be sacrificed, the angel of the Lord, who we believe to be uh, Jesus, sort of pre-incarnate, the second person of the Trinity, said, open your eyes, Abraham. I not only will provide, I have provided. And look over there. It wasn't a lamb, but it was a ram. There is a ram in the thicket. Take that. Sacrifice that ram. There was no such ram for Jesus, for he died And in fact, he was our substitute, your substitute, my substitute. It is you, it is I, who should have been upon that cross, dying for our sin. But Jesus did instead. And he rose again victorious. This is why we gather around this table every so often to come and remember him. But I've finished with this. You may think it was an odd verse to tag on to the end that Janice read. In Romans 12, verse 1, we read those words, present your lives a living sacrifice. Some versions have present your bodies uh, uh, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. There is in in that verse that, uh, uh, that Janice read to us, where she, she read words to the effects, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That will vary whichever translation you look at. 
It is nigh impossible, and in fact it is impossible, to find one English word which will translate what that means. Sometimes it is translated as worship, sometimes as service, sometimes as reasonable service, and so on. The word that is used is literally that of a hireling, a latress in Greek. And we are called to be a latress. It is that complete and total active service where our worship is our service and our service is uh, our worship. In other words, it's total dedication, total giving to one's the task of worship. And sometimes that call can be very challenging as to Abraham. Maybe God is calling you today. Maybe God is calling you to take a challenge to make a difference in your life that you've resisted. In other words, what is your Isaac? Are you prepared to lay down your Isaac, to give your Isaac as your worship, as your service? So your daily living will not be detached from what happens here, but a result of what happens here. May we be prepared then to lay down our Isaac for him, to be a true latress, a hireling who is open to anything he calls us to do and to be. Amen. Oh,